This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. first guest in a very long time that I've had on the podcast who's from the Free Patriotic Movement. I've had many former members of the party, but in terms of an official position and somebody who has served in the state and belongs to that party currently, you're the first. And to be frank, you're the person I wanted to speak with the most. And these are selfish reasons. Uh, I enjoy watching you on TV. I actually turn to you often to try to understand better the wider picture of not just where the party stands, but in a way trying to look back in time a bit and project forward. I think you offer some healthy terrain when you're analyzing events. And they're usually in debate shows, but I like the more measured debate shows. And my favorite one right now is Albert Costanian, 2030. And I watched you recently. And actually that made me want to reach out to you directly. I'll also say that during a campaign season, anyone that gives me their time, especially the last two weeks prior to elections, for me it's an honor. So I'll say that up front. Uh, We met twice, and I don't know if you'll remember this. Uh, The first time I met you in person was at my father's funeral, December 27, 2013. And of the thousands of people that were in that line shaking hands, almost a trance-like situation, shook your hands and I recognized you and it was a quick hello goodbye I think a few weeks later Ziad Barud invited me to his home and I ran into you in the elevator I think you were leaving you were heading out and I was heading in so we probably saw him at the same time well I'm not sure why we were both there right at the same moment but I saw you five second hello goodbye since then it's been on social media television and news and I think it's my fault for aging so badly the last eight years, and you look the same. <laughs> <laughs> and we're about a decade apart, but you look good for 50. I look bad for 40. There's another side to this. Uh, I've had explorations with guests that don't really match the audience's expectations. And for me, they've been a very healthy learning exercise. And I want this to be something like that. This is not meant to put you on the spot. This is not confrontational. It's really trying to understand you better the party better, and to be frank, where things are moving. So with your permission, I want to go back in time before we get into what's happening right now. I had an episode with the Ukrainian ambassador to Lebanon a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the protests in Maidan, the Ukrainian protest movement, the flags that were flown in the middle of Ukraine, in the middle of Kiev in 2004, and the color orange. And it immediately took me back some two decades ago to where this all began. When the free patriotic movement chose the color orange as an inspiration from what was happening in Ukraine. 
And I think it's not an accident that more recently, Ukraine is still in the same sort of dynamic security disaster for that country. I think we're still stuck in time. So that color, I think, has transcended in a way. That color is associated with the free patriotic movement, but I, I like learning and, and remembering where this all started. And my fondest memories are the buildup to the Syrian withdrawal, those delicate weeks and months where members of this movement, which was turning into an official political party, were very, very proud. And my conversations with everyone in this country and with Lebanese abroad coming home, there was a real sense of joy that a former general, the current president, was coming back. And this was the most popular party I could think of back then when it came to what I thought of as an opposition group. Things have changed so much in the last 17 years. So I want to pick up from that point and we'll go slowly and we'll go gently. Between 2004 and April 2005, when the Syrian withdrawal happened, is that how you remember the buildup to Syria's exit? And how you remember March 14, 2005? Even though that word has changed over time, the meaning has changed over time. And do you think of it as still holding on to something that was really built slowly and delicately, mostly from abroad, but it was taken back to Lebanon? And it cemented itself in Lebanon's political sphere. So I'll let you say whatever you'd like. I don't want to be too romantic. I'm sorry if I am being a bit too, ro too romantic, but... It's a very, very important part of our history. Whatever you can say. Well, I, I, uh, I think this is part of uh, my history that I'm proud of. Uh, <clears throat> because, and it culminated in 2005, March 14, 2005. But for us as FPM, it was every March 14 since 1990 mm. that we're celebrating uh, as... Uh, as the memory of uh, the war of liberation against Syrian occupation, which means that it's a continuous effort and activism that we had during 15 years and that ended in March 14, 2005, which was one of the most wonderful days in my, in my political life. I was part of it. I was there. And uh, I believe... It was a great uh, reunion you know, for the Lebanese people mm. from all sides <coughs> to express their their uh, you know, their 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 uh, will for freedom, for uh, sovereignty, for independence. And it happened uh, a few mo a months later, actually. Mm. And this was great, and it was a historical achievement. And we can call it the second independence, definitely, because mm. it has been 30 years maybe that we were under the Syrian occupation or almost 30 years. So this was great. Uh, this was great part of my political life. I remember it. I'm proud of it. And I think that it marked me, definitely. And um, and I think that uh, because I'm, I'm, of the, I'm one of those politicians who have... And they didn't come up to politics sake accidentally, mm. you know. Mm. It was part of a long road uh, and build up 
uh, to reach what we reach today. Mm. And therefore, uh, I believe that I'm, I had a cause, actually. I was a young, uh, young student, and I was uh, attracted by this cause. I've, I fought for it. I lived it every day of my life. Yeah. I was passionate about it, and I lived it passionately. And definitely since 2005 and the comeback to Lebanon after the exile, it was another era starting, yeah. actually. And uh, with different challenges, uh, uh, as hard as the other one, differently, and with lots of disappointments, lots mm. of good things and bad things. Uh, and I, I believe that um, this gave me a lot of uh, a big experience, actually, uh, a better knowledge of the system, of the people, and sort of a certain maturity yeah. compared to a little bit naivety I had at the beginning, mm. where I believed mm. that the one once the country is liberated, everything will be fine. And right. actually, yeah. it turned out that it was even more difficult than before. It's quite... Uh, important that w your exact description of that moment leading up to the Syrian withdrawal in April 2005, but the build-up, that slow and euphoric moment on March 14, 2005, is exactly the way I remember it. And I think, I think if we find a way one day to look back at that moment, I think there's something that's so perfect about. Lebanese across the political spectrum, standing together, calling on the Syrians to leave, and then how quickly the narrative shifts. I'm going to go slowly and gently down to that shift. My first major political disappointment in my political understanding of Lebanon, and I'll emphasize, I am a decade younger than you. You must have been in your early 30s back then. In, in 2005, yeah. 2000. Yeah. I was in my early 20s. So I'm allowed to be... 34. Uh, I was 34. 34. I was 24. Mm. And I'm allowed, I think... I'm given permission to make more mistakes in my calculations than you. <laughs> only because a 20-year-old should be allowed to do that. But I, I recall a, a major disappointment. And it's not, it's not something that I think any of us expected on March 14, 2005. That summer's national unity that summer's so-called national unity, that very incon that unpleasant uh, unity where you have paralysis by design, opponents that don't see eye to eye suddenly joining hands after a major shift in geopolitics, local politics. And I recall having immense sympathy for any party that did not want to take part in that kind of forced unity. So I think it's fair to say that the first attempt at having a noble opposition to that ongoing paralysis post-Syrian withdrawal was the Free Patriotic Movement. And I think it gained a lot of sympathy for standing alone, almost holding the higher ground. It still baffles me that less than a year later, one of the strangest security arrangements or deals or whatever you want to call it the modern khayal agreement it still baffles me that that happened less than a year later i i still can't process that moment i know a lot has been said i know you've said i mean i think hours has been said if not more 
But when you look back now, not at the not at the calculations made then, but in hindsight, in 2022, is there any reflection and any reckoning that that decision may have contributed to consequences that were not seen back then? And I'm trying to be very diplomatic here. The other tone would be worst decision made in Lebanon's history. I don't subscribe to that kind of tone. I'm trying to understand if there's any any sort of not lessons learned, but that maybe that was that made sense then, but it doesn't make sense long term. Why do you want people to accept um, the the, quadri the quadripartite agreement in 2005 mm. <coughs> between these two sides yeah. that uh, you described as nothing uh, unite whatever, and at the same time you want to. Uh, demonized, demonized. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean the the Mikhail, Mikhail agreement. Not. I don't want to demonize. It's not that I want to understand more in terms of that. No, no. I, I just yeah. let, let me just so so. Let's let's start by saying that uh, joining the country together after the assassin after the earthquake of the assassination yeah. of the late Prime Minister Hariri was a wise decision was a wise decision. Was a wise decision. Jo bringing the country together oh. again. Oh. Not politically, because politically it was very badly implemented uh, because it was sort of a power sharing, excluding uh, major parties like the Christians mm. from, the, from the agreement. It was supposed to be a national unity. So are you referring to the 2005 elections? Yes. The uh, National Unity Government? No, 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 no. The 2003, what is called the Tifak Rubai. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, the outcome of that. Uh, yeah. yeah. So the, the idea of after this uh, earthquake happening, uh, bringing the country together again because of the very sensitive mm. division around it was a wise decision. The... Mm. the, the what was wrong that it was an opportunity for the country to restart on a new basis after the Syrian withdrawal mm. from the system and the comeback of the Christians to the political uh, arena, let's yeah. say. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely badly implemented. And actually, it was, and it, it, it was not as, uh, let's say, as sincere as it was supposed to be, because this is why it collapsed one year later, mm. or one uh, and a half year later. Uh, what led to the Maram Khayla agreement was driven by two, two motives. The first one, you have to put it in the context and um, what is the dynamic that led to it. There is a national dimension and the political one. Mm. So the national dimension is driven by the fact that uh, we should avoid isolating any community. Mm. So mm. we should always keep bridges between each other as Lebanese. And and therefore, we shouldn't let the Shia feel that they are isolated, that mm. everyone wants their head, yeah. uh, internally, externally. Because this could lead, lead to a sort of a civil war. So the idea was to give a hand. And at the same time, it was supposed to be a, a general, uh, yani it, it was not supposed to be exclusively with them. It was for the others. Right, yeah. The, uh, and it was announced during the announcement of the agreement. The second one was 
political and it was also a consequences of the way what is supposed what so called march 14 coalition mm, mm. Ex- excluded the fpm mm. marginalized the fpm uh, despite the great performance the fpm did in the elections right. with the great representativity yeah. uh, uh, general loan and the fpm got in these elections and and the first real try politically for this exactly group. Yeah. so instead of uh, 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 instead of uh, uh, recognizing this status, they excluded the FPM from the government, and then later on from uh, and and uh, they left them with uh, no choice than going to to look for political alliances mm. elsewhere in order in order to restore some balance of power in the system because when we were alone in the opposition at that time although we were representative mm-hmm. with a block of 20 MPs that was supposed to be 40 if it was a different electoral law with, with, <laughs> the, with the number of votes we got at that time yeah. somewhere between 20 and 40 at least for sure yeah. Yeah. so so uh, we were underrepresented uh, represented and, uh, and therefore uh, we were uh, left alone the quadripart put the government in place they led so we were uh, so politically forget all the other dimension of the problem sure. politically we had the right to seek for alliances in order to change the balance of power in the system to be able to be more mm-hmm. uh, effective and push our agenda so these are the two Hmm. Uh, moti- motives or motivations that uh, were behind the behind the agreement. I appreciate you saying something which is easy to forget, and I think as time passes, we too often forget very important moments for communal anxiety in this country. That, and you said it in very blunt terms, and it's real. The Christian community in Lebanese politics was not present for almost 15 years, if you include the civil war. That's three decades. And there was real, uh, real uh, disengagement from the most important players, whether it was the Free Patriotic Movement or the Lebanese forces, or for that matter, the Kate'e Party, which was best represented by the Syrian regime in those years, in the 90s. So that natural representation was unavailable. I think that's important to emphasize. I'm glad you did that. Uh, another thing is that this movement did uh, emphasize the Syrian problem in Lebanon, the Syrian regime in Lebanon. But for me, as somebody who's not in the group and somebody who saw it from the outside in Lebanon, not abroad, I remember it as being a stalwart for Lebanese independence and probably the only group that was as vocal of those concerns. I don't think any other group even matched the Free Patriotic Movement. So the reason I kind of made it I don't want to demonize it. On the contrary, I, I will take it one step further only. The reason it baffles somebody like me, let's say, who's watching this group enter the political arena could be possibly represented by almost a third of MPs with that electoral law reconfiguration. That it doesn't stay a noble opposition. That it sides with a group that is best represented under Syrian disorder as the party that best uh, preserved a security problem and 
it almost lines up naturally with the Syrian regime's politics in Lebanon. I guess the baffling point is nine months after the elections, the FPM is no longer that attractive opposition. It's that sided opposition with a group that I don't think of as an opposition party to the regime. I'm being extra careful here because I know it's and it's probably the most sensitive point on this whole uh, terrain. But but as I'm trying to see, I'm trying to explain it from somebody who's not uh, thinking of the political calculations from within, more in the. I agree, but yeah. but um, I mean, in the, the yeah, I mean, at that time it was no more being with the Syrian regime or not. The Syria mm. was out, mm. and we were very clear since the liberation war in 1989 and 90, that the day Syria will go out from Lebanon, we will not have any problem with them. We have a problem with Syria in Lebanon, not not mm. uh, not in Syria. So after the Syrian withdrawal, our concern was local. It was not anymore mm. Syrian or external. Mm. Mm. The, 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 the seeking understandings, local understandings, without all this regional dimension of Hezbollah or uh, mm. all the other aspects, was part of the political game. Hezbollah is, is an internal uh, player. They have their parliamentary bloc. They have their uh, popular support. They are one of the players on the arena. They are the Shia representatives. So uh, it's normal that you you look for understandings mm. and try to, to to find common grounds with others, even if they are different in many in many in many sorts uh, with you. Mm. It goes also with the others, not only with Hezbollah. At that time, the others they rejected the FBM. Mm. So the only way left was politically is to go and seek other alliances. But it was not uh, as seen as if it's in favor of Syrian regime or not, because it was no more uh, on the table, the Syrian mm. presence in Lebanon. And so the, the, the motivations thinking. were different. And in general thinking, of course, yeah, you have other reasons that. No, no, sorry, I'll, I'll, sorry, I should have. I'll, I'll clarify. The internal thinking was there any common thread in what Hezbollah was inheriting from the Syrian departure when it came to that decision? So, I mean, in other words, did internal decisions really separate Hezbollah's institutional capabilities from Syria? Was there a, these are two separate things, we can work with Hezbollah? Regardless of Syria? Yeah. I don't think the Syrian regime was anymore the lead threat at that mm-hmm. time. And, and if you go now 17 years back, uh, I mean, we, we have we have the burden of the regional conflict. But the main, the driving force of these of these regional, uh, the regional powers are Iran and uh, the Saudis and the Americans, and mm. it's not really Syria now, especially mm. after 2011. Sorry, I meant more in what Hezbollah was capable of doing in Lebanon, comparing to what the Syrians could do when they were here in Lebanon. Um, I'll, I'll give an analogy. Uh, I remember these passionate discussions in Martyrs Square on March 14, 2005. They were all with Free Patriotic Movement members. And it's easy to forget that everyone was sort of hugging each other, <laughs> and now no one talks to another. This may be one of those rare occasions where people still talk. <laughs> um, 
the chance for 1559, UN Security Council Resolution 1559, I, I always associated that resolution with General Aoun, President Aoun's lexicon, his, his language, his determination, a demand for Syria to leave not only, but a demand for all sub-state militia to disarm. And I always thought of that with the Free Patriotic Movement. I don't know if that's a fair assumption. I don't think it's only the Free Patriotic Movement that stood up for that, but they were the defenders of that resolution. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to understand, was Hezbollah sort of, did it develop in a way that made more sense to the Free Patriotic Movement, that there could be this kind of understanding and we could sideline certain things that we stood for? It's a mix of... It's a mix of uh, uh, definitely uh, direct dialogue, try to discuss the differences, and there were a lot, mm, mm. Uh, and try to find answers to them. And this was part of the uh, 10 points, let's say bullet points in the MOU. And uh, it's also though, so because you start from a point that uh, you have to find common grounds with your partners in this country. You are part of a political system, confessional political system, where you need, in order to run the country, to find common grounds with the others. Even if the others, if the starting point with the others is so far, so conflictual. So you mm. have to mm. find a way to find understanding. The second one, of course, is also... <coughs> uh, we had, uh, let's say, a concourse of political interests that led together because uh, we were looking for uh, rebalancing the, you know, the, the power in the country and the decision. We mm. were excluded after the 2005 elections. We needed to change, to shift the balance of power, uh, or at least to make a minimum of balance in order to be able to push forward our agenda of coming back as, and as Christian representativity in the system, mm. changing the electoral law of 2000 that was used in 2005, that was uh, unfair and led to an underrepresentativity of the FPM and the Christians, etc., etc. So uh, you have to put it in the context of, uh, as, let's say, as a political party who was 15 years in the exile, uh, struggling for the independence, and then another 15 years struggling for coming back as our bringing back this community uh, to where it should be as partner in the decision-making process. So this mm. was the fight the other the second 15 years until 2016. You mentioned something that resonates with me. You said that when you also sort of entered the political scene post-2005, when you became part of this, you became part of the movement politically, that you said that uh, there was a bit of a naivete f uh, as somebody who was wanting things to happen and then they didn't yeah, happen? definitely. May I'll ask you something I'd, I would never have the chance to ask you otherwise. Is part of this sectarianism, meaning that there is a reality to the way Lebanon is governed, there is a sectarian component that cannot be dismissed? And my memory of the free patriotic movement even though it's obviously predominantly Christian. But pre-2005, I didn't think of that group that way. 
I thought of it as a national yeah, because, struggle. Because uh, we were mainly vocal on the liberation of Lebanon. Right. And after, when you came back to the system and we saw uh, that the Christians are marginalized in the confessional political system, mm. this is a fact. I, I don't like it, but it's a fact. Yeah. So we had to be vocal on, uh, yani on, on this... Uh, uh, fixing this Christian representativity and partnership in the political system. So this is why. I think that we should have done it also if it was a Muslim faction that was also under representative mm, mm. or, or being marginalized. So because as far as we are in this confessional system, it's healthier to have a good representativity of the different communities rather than leaving a group feeling that is marginalized and especially by the others, mm. which lead to a sort of discord, the national unity, and and this is uh, dangerous for right. our unity. So I guess that we were also pushed for this, uh, putting this priority at, at least, because, again, it was one of the mistakes of the post-2005 elections. And uh, uh, let's say that all the other components respected what came out of the polls in 2005 mm. in terms of the representativity of the FPM, despite the unfair electoral 2000 law, and gave this FPM uh, what it deserves as partner in the system, I think the whole dynamic would have been different. This is, I know it's being hypothetical, but had that quadripartite, whatever it's called, the four-way national unity, had that not happened, had the FPM been a fairly represented part of that larger sphere. Do you think the Maram Khayal agreement would have still happened? In terms of FPM being uh, as not siding against the Shia, yes, but not necessarily maybe being in an alliance. Right. But not being definitely part of a group targeting them or isolating them and want, wanting to get rid of them. So mm. we could have been not necessarily in an alliance, but our positioning would have been also in a sort of a medium or peaceful way position. Right. Okay. I think that maybe now I cannot come back to retrospectively to, yeah. to uh, but uh, let's say let's say that the 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 let's say that the March 14 wouldn't have treated this FPM this way, mm. and also or politically, and at the same time. Uh, not trying to isolate the Shia the way they did uh, as part of also uh, concerns that it was also part of the international scheme or whatever. So this, uh, whether, it's, whether it's right or not, whatever, it's, mm. it was mm. a perception. I don't want to, to make a trial of intention. Yeah. Say, but I would, I'm just describing uh, the perception that was there. I think that the FPM would have been, would have stayed maybe in the middle and tried to be the bridge between the two camps instead of being labeled as ally of, of a camp against the other. You thought but it, you could see it as still staying that that noble independent opposition. Yes, they could have been. Uh, again, but it was. Yeah. But what? But would it would it would have required that the March 14 uh, also build different relationship with the FPM. But when you isolate the FPM this way, you marginalize it. You uh, leave it without, uh, mm. you still marginalize also this Christian representativity that was part of the new combat we had, let's say, yeah. in the system. Well, uh, you have, well, we have to find our way. When all the doors uh, are closed, well, we have to find a way forward. And this way forward was through this alliance. 
I think I could. This is the political side because I said course, there was yeah. also a national dimension yeah. to avoid the civil war. I, I mean, I won't. I won't push any further because I think there's a lot more I, I, that's worth exploring. But I'll just suggest something you can you can say completely. You think it's out of line? I don't know. Um, I I don't subscribe to this threat of civil war. And I know it's used a lot. And I know people believe this too. I think average the average citizen always thinks this could potentially happen. And the reason I'll say something outlandish like that, which it's a bit sort of exaggerated, maybe. Um, is because I think the disorder that emerged once the Syrians left is a disorder that guarantees paralysis rather than civil war. And I mean, whatever, but that could lead at some point to a civil war. But I don't know. I'll, I'll suggest something here, and I'll sort of cherry pick. So we and don't also, get, let me yeah. just say, thing, mm. to be fair, in 2014, November 21 for the uh, 2014. General Aoun was still in exile. To, uh, sorry, 2004. Yeah, so, 2004. Excuse me. Excuse yeah, yeah. me. Uh, was still in exile. Wrote a letter and charged us here as FPM. Uh, yani, Up and coming. Yeah, here, yeah. To go see these uh, the political leaders and hand over this letter. This letter said that I remember I went to some see some of the leaders. Yeah. Uh, because we split in groups, actually. I'm coming back. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, no, this was not I'm the... the uh, it's known, no, 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 no. the letter is, is public. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> that uh, we are going into... Towards... It was in November 2004. Okay. We are going towards the Syrian withdrawal from Lebanon. Hmm. It was part of his analysis of what was happening hmm. after 2003... Iraq war after the 1559 yes. after his all his what he did in the Congress etc uh, for the, the Syrian Accountability Act the Bri- yeah the Bristol let's, meeting is starting can, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. so we are going through that yeah. and it's important that we have a dialogue about this transitional period mm. where we will shift from the occupation towards being left alone altogether mm, mm. this was the idea let's say right that this transition period, we should agree on it. Mm. Okay? At that time, he had the vision in November 2004 to say yeah. that this is happening and we have to prepare this withdrawal. Yes. Because we need to agree on many things before we are left, over, uh, we're left alone, let's say. Uh, before we... Uh, uh, we anticipate, let's say. And actually, he was seeing it coming and... Uh, I don't know who took it seriously or not at yeah. that time, but mm. the idea was that when you uh, when you shift from this uh, occupation or mandate or whatever you can call it, uh, what you want to call it, uh, tutel or whatever. The, f- the 15 years of Syrian... Yes. Uh, uh, let's call running. it mismanagement. Well, it was definitely <laughs> mismanagement, but I mean, I mean, just to say, you are yeah. shifting from a, a country... Uh, uh, managed or let's say uh, controlled by mm. a foreign uh, country yes and with all the problems and etc we have all already together and then you're shifting to def- uh, suddenly to at that time 
the arrangement that was made for this transition, it was be, be, without us, was the quadripartite uh, right. arrangement, actually. Yes. He was looking for something else at that time. Yeah. He was looking for something, and, and the whole dynamic of Hezbollah, etc., March 14, would have been different, actually. Okay, mm. you're going to tell me the Prime Minister Hariri was assassinated later, okay, but, I mean... Still, at that time, and we, there was also a delegation that led, that mm. went to see the Prime Minister Hariri. Mm, mm. At that time, the idea of we have to prepare a transition between the Syrian occupation and the, the Free Lebanon was yeah. important for, so that we Lebanese agree on the period to come. And so. we didn't, and we missed it. And they did it mm. uh, through the Co-Departed Alliance mm. that actually also collapsed a year later. Right. I'll cherry pick for there's a stretch of time that I think it would take like five hours to get into. I'm going to cherry pick events so that we can fast forward to more recent events. Um, In my mind, and you tell me if you see it the same way, you may see it completely different. The failures that emerged from that bad idea, the June 2005 national unity, uh, the, the, the major obstacles that were handed to that bad idea, I don't think is the bad idea's fault. And I'll I'll give you an analogy here. Uh, A year and three or four months after March 14, we have a July war that devastates the country. That is, I think, less to do with that 2005 bad idea and more to do with the reality that increases over time, which is Hezbollah's capabilities to dictate certain policies in Lebanon. I'll go a step further. The protests that the FPM took part in, that was not really, I think, in its inception meant to lead to a street battle or mini, whatever you want to call it, flirtation with civil war in May 2008. I don't think that was the the intention. (coughs) But... The paralysis that ensued after, and the street fighting that did happen in May 2008, I think has less to do with what that kind of group did to the FPM and has more to do, I think, with Hezbollah's capabilities. Those few sovereign attempts at tackling Hezbollah's infrastructure in 2008 was met with bloodshed on the streets of Beirut. Go to 2009, another round of elections that that misinterpretation of March 14, let's say, reemerges in parliament. It's a different March 14. Obviously, the FPM is not there, not on that side. So it's a different March 14. A year and a few months after, the prime minister is sent away. The government falls now. I don't think the government fell because of anything to do with Lebanon's inefficiencies. I really still think the moment the special tribunal became a concern, a real concern for Hezbollah, that government is collapsing. And I think the years thereafter, leading up to many things that happened in the middle, this includes President Aoun's return to Babda. I think has less to do with us and more to do with Hezbollah. And not Hezbollah, the political party, Hezbollah, the machine that dictates too much in this country. Now, I said a lot there, 
and I don't mean to make it so blurry, but did anything of what I just said stick with you? Or does it all sort of uh, seem like a different planet that I live on? No, I mean, um, many... Hezbollah was as influent uh, any player mm. in Lebanon, but uh, yeah, it's 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 not the only one. Mm. Let's say, mm. and uh, let's say that um, uh, yeah, he uh, he played it better than his opponents. Let's say, if you want to do, po- I'm talking here politics. Mm. I'm not talking mm. the regional part, uh, and. Uh, and uh, this doesn't mean that he was the only the only party uh, that has influence in this country. Mm. Uh, maybe he's a blocking force, definitely, like all parties, and he uses he used it, he used it better than others, mm. let's say. But uh, because every community has a veto power, but at the same time, um, they were more effective, let's say, and they were more loyal to their allies, and uh, they. Uh, they played it better than the others. I mean, uh, this is why uh, there has been mistakes. Definitely, I mean, no one didn't do mistakes in the last mm. 15, 17 years. And uh, we all have uh, lessons to take from all what happened and also from the bilateral relationships mm. we had. And we have been vocal about we need to review uh, a lot in this understanding mm. because mm. it doesn't... Uh, I respond anymore to the actual challenges and uh, and we're sincere about it mm. uh, at the same time uh, I believe that uh, I mean the only way forward is to bring everyone on this common ground you have to find it this this uh, let's say this uh, this play, uh, this field this play field where Everyone should uh, 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 should meet. Uh, Hezbollah has efforts to do in order to. Uh, I mean, it's not only attracting people to his ideas. Mm-hmm. He has also to do also efforts in order to join the others. Mm-hmm. And because the rules of the game uh, to live together and to have a country that works and the system that works. Uh, needs uh, concessions and needs uh, uh, deliverables from everyone. And Hezbollah is one of the most important players here, mm. and they have to do much more efforts in order for things to be to happen uh, to improve in the country. So in that sense, uh, you have at the same time you have to accept that you cannot. You have to, to to accept the idea that they are part of the players, and you cannot uh, uh, you cannot deprive them from this uh, from this right of being one of the uh, decision makers in this country. Not alone, yeah. but one of them. The, I'll try to use my independent mind here and apply it to something that's across the board. For me, Harakat uh, Amar. Uh, is a complicated party to perhaps lean on when it comes to inspiration. But the Harakat Amal of the early, mid, late 1970s at most uh, 
is something that I think did inspire a lot of Lebanese across the board. And I think there are particular figures that are almost considered now national figures. That's going back almost half a century ago. But Harakat Amal is old. Uh, the future party is newer. It's a largely post-Civil War group that becomes a political party, really, like the future, future uh, free patriotic movement after 2005. But for me, uh, the future party is far more attractive when Saad Hariri is not prime minister. And I think of somebody inheriting a status as an opposition figure when they're not the face of it, for me, is a more, it's a more appealing voice, even with less influence. For me... Opposition is, opposition is always attractive. Absolutely, yes. I, I, you're abs- actually, you're absolutely right. The, I apply the same thing to whether it's President Michel Aoun today. Definitely. When or, he was in Rabia, it was, was much, much easier. Rabia or, or even... Or, yeah, or, in Paris, or in Paris. <laughs> or even in March, or sorry, April, when he returns, in May and June, defiant, very defiant at times, but I still lean on that voice more when they're the upper hand in opposition. But the reason I'm laying it out this way is because I don't think these figures intentionally wanted to find themselves in a situation where they all become, over time, Hezbollah's preferred communal leaders or communal alternatives like Nabi Hibri. And I'm saying it in a very broad way, but I think of Saad Hariri as Hezbollah's preferred prime minister, even when he's not here. Although Saad Hadidi, I think, is meant to be that voice of moving on from Hezbollah's weapons, he becomes Hezbollah's preferred prime minister. I don't know if this is true. I assume it's true. You can tell me I'm wrong. I think of Michel Aoun as Hezbollah's preferred president in Baabda, or preferred communal leader, I think is a better way of describing it. And Abih Birri. Let me tell you something. Hezbollah might have his preferences. It's his right. Every party has his preferences. Maybe the FPM has a preferences for uh, prime minister and mm. his preferences mm. for speaker. Yeah. Hezbollah is also a political party who can have his preferences. But those are But not he cannot yeah. he cannot choose who's the leader of a community. Mm-hmm. It's the community who chooses leaders. Exactly. Right? If he supports yes. he supports them or not this is different. You're right. But He's not creating the leadership for Michel Aoun. He's not creating yeah. the leadership for Saad Hariri. Yes. It's the supporters of Michel Aoun or Hal Hariri who are making him a leader. I agree and with you. Okay, Hezbollah, among the leaders that are there, has his preferences? Fine. It's no, um, I'll say it in a different way. I, I think they don't shine the way they were meant to shine because of a burden placed on them, which is Hezbollah's capabilities. So I think, in other words, uh, President Michel Aoun is not the same president that I imagined in 2005. He's a more complicated president today. Saad Hariri is... The system uh, is complicated also. Yeah. It's, it's, the context is different than 2005, but also the system is complicated. Because being in opposition is something, and being mm. responsible for getting things being done in a, such a complex system... Mm-hmm. Uh, where the consensus becomes uh, paralysis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where the pro- productivity is so low yeah. and the paralysis is so high. So uh, this is where 
uh, and this is something that uh, I think we underestimated mm. or let's say we overestimated our capacity to change it or, or right, maybe we right. could have changed it with better relationships but political mm. relationships but the, the deterioration of the political relationships led also to complicating the task of getting things done because you cannot get things done even if you are a president of the republic it turned out and even if you have all this weight we had politically as far as you are in a consensus, uh, consensual system that doesn't work on majority and minority, it works on its one side, one single side, with a veto power, who doesn't like, who doesn't want this to happen, with this veto power, he can stop it, whatever weight you have in the system. And this is a political problem for any other president and from any other uh, executive power as far as we don't find solution for it. Because, and this is one of the things that uh, actually uh, we had to confront and was part of, uh, of uh, um, many of the things that, uh, obstacles that we faced and that led to some failures. I wish I had the better words to describe a feeling that's, I don't think, um, Disappointment is the right word. And I don't mean this in particular to the free, free patriotic movement. It's more that I think what many of us saw happening once the Syrians left turned into a nightmare that I don't think enough of us, some of us do better at this, some of us don't, enough, enough of us articulate exactly what that machine has done to our politics. And the machine, I think, is still a security problem left over from the Syrian withdrawal. Using the word Hezbollah, maybe uh, it dilutes it a bit because it assumes that it's just Lebanese living in certain regions that vote for Hezbollah. It's not that. It's the security reasons why Michel, why President Michel Aoun had to leave this country, why Rafiq Hariri was killed, and we even know who Saad Hariri is to begin with, and why someone like Nabih Buri, who I have no idea how old he is now, but he's still, at this very late stage in life, Hezbollah's preferred alternative. And I think this is a disorder that has costed this country so much. And I always thought, and I am sorry to say this over and over, that that magical moment we both know too well, there was one party that I thought would actually stand high above, even if it meant less visible politics, less visible power. I really thought it was the free patriotic movement. And it, you said it right. To be in the system, to have agency in the system, you end up in a very complicated situation. You're right. But I, I don't know. Independent-minded opposition movements, to me, are what resonate a lot. And I'll jump ahead now. A lot of the protesters that I've met that have been on this podcast, some of them are politicians in the making. A lot of them are now running for uh, parliament. Elections. I mean, they're young, they're dynamic. Some of them are a little older like me. I would say 90% are former free patriotic movement members or supporters or both. Great. They got you. We have to create an alumni. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't think they want to be in that. <laughs> but I think it's something I would never get the chance to ask. In your shoes, you've seen a lot happen in this country the last two and a half years where many things that have been directed against this party have happened, whether it's on the street or on the news. A bit of it is aggressive. Sometimes it's using violent language. 
but I'm sure you have seen former supporters or even former, let's say even former friends, political allies that are now, they've flipped the narrative. Yeah, okay. Right? This happens for all parties. I want to ask you, though, as an individual in a party, seeing this dynamic, to you, does it simply mean that they just change their politics and it no longer aligns itself with what you stand for? Or is it the free patriotic movement has also changed its politics and it lost maybe a lot of people on the way? It's both. Hmm. It's both. Every every choice you make politically might make you lose people because they are mm. not convinced of it. And others that would join join you for it. Yani. Mm. So it's it's uh, it works both ways. Mm. Uh, you can have uh, you can have uh, um, yani decisions or choices you make or alliances you make that can cost you politically, and can and make that make makes you win in another way. So it's mm. it's uh, it's part of any political life. Let's say uh, I don't think the yani. I think we have to, everyone has to do his own revision of what happened, mm. where he did well, where he did bad, and if he did mistakes or if things would could have been dealt with differently. Uh, we all have to do our, let's say, autocritical uh, yeah. evaluation. And uh, this is normal. Mm. And, and uh, many things could have been done differently. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, the way it goes for the political parties mm. and uh, uh, the events in Lebanon were not uh, minor, let's say. Yeah. There was always uh, big decisions to make and uh, and I think that ultimately uh, when you deliver uh, and when things get better, you can reconciliate with people you lost. Let me ask you about exposure. I think there are individuals that were targeted politically by the protest movement because they were perhaps too visible when it came to the eventual collapse. I think Saad Hadidi is a casualty of that kind of uprising, and he was the face of the government in 2019. Weeks later, he's resigned. Forget his delicate attempt at trying to return. It didn't happen. He's gone. He's in Abu Dhabi. I know you're not, you are not Gibran Bessir. I know that. And I'm not going to ask you about anything other than just the, the, the facts on the ground. Do you think that is partially why he was one of those names that was emphasized on much more than other names? That it was a, an exposure that perhaps was too long. It is identified with a certain ministry that has collapsed on its head. Uh, the more you had exposure before the revolution, the more you were the target of protesters. Right. It was this way. Yeah. All those who were definitely at the front line that had the the huge exposure they had, it's normal that uh, the, uh, uh, let's say the, the the payback was (laughs) that Mm, they were the main targets of the revolution because they were those who people were seeing the most. Yeah. So it's part of the, of, uh, of what happened actually, and uh, and but actually after then everyone was driven. Uh, Absolutely. And this, and, uh, but for you, and I know you're kind of you're not. It's not that you're behind the scenes. You're an, you're a member of parliament. It's not that you're hiding. No, but I, I think of you as more. You're a less visible 
member when it comes to public discourse, and I think that's because you're never a minister. Yeah, maybe right. because I'm I'm a, I'm a parliamentarian. I'm not a minister. Yeah. The minister is usually uh, the executive power. So yeah, uh, he's an executive. Uh, yani, the decisions are there. Yani, uh, the main decisions uh, that concerns people, and this yeah. is where the people usually protest against governments. But trying to enter your mind, you're watching TV. I think all of us were probably watching it at the same time supporters and and opponents and everyone was just glued to the same screen when you heard those chants echoing and sometimes it's tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people what is the initial reaction you you felt and yeah, despite yeah. the name calling forget the forget the vulgarity just yeah, yeah. the no no you know uh, first at the beginning you have uh, to understand that there's a general protest mm toward the political class. Forget the details and how yeah. things were uh, driven or uh, mm. directed or whatever. Uh, when you are in power and there's a popular protest, you have to expect that people will react against you, mm. regardless mm. of the way they did. Yeah. It goes to everyone mm. in power. It doesn't spare anyone. Yeah. But it's normal because people, when they have to complain, they want to complain for those who are in the, in the, in the positions of responsibilities. Right. And then at that time, it's more passionate. It's more, uh, you know, there is no objectivity. You know, it's, yeah. it's uh, this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of uh, instincts that drives these kind of mm. movements, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and this is first you have to let it go. Uh, yani let them, uh, let's say, uh, empty all they have on their minds, on their hearts. And you have to accept at the beginning. You have to leave space for people to express what they want. Mm. Because at this time, there is no reason. There is no clear mind. There is mm. no objectivity. It's only hatred and it's only uh, passion and it's only... Uh, Anger and it's whatever you want. And then with, with someone when he's in this state of mind, uh, I mean, he's not someone who, who can you, you talk with in a normal way because mm. whatever you say, they don't want to listen. They just want to talk, to talk and to, to scream and to shout. But when things uh, cool down uh, a little bit, then you, you needed to have a conversation or a dialogue with these people because the protest itself is legitimate. Yeah. People, uh, disappointment from this system is, uh, is legitimate. Mm -hmm. People disappointed from corruption in the country is legitimate. People asking for uh, a better productivity of their government uh, is legitimate, etc., etc., etc. So uh, the idea is good. The performance was not always good because it, it, it was mixing everyone. It was, uh, uh, anyway, I don't want to come back to that. But uh, Anna, personally, I was happy with, uh, because if you are a real reformist in the system, if you're not part of any kind of corruption or any kind of, uh, or, or you don't like the way that things <coughs> uh, doesn't happen because there's always problems, the system is mm, too much, mm. it's too heavy, etc., you should be happy when you have, let's say, uh, someone like helping you put the pressure. You, know, you, you put it yourself as part of the system inside your uh, institution, your right. party, whatever. Yes. But when you have such a push 
to force politicians and political class and political parties to to go forward with uh, reforms, with what fixing things, etc. It's it's always good. I didn't feel it as against me, as the spirit of the revolution. Was that then it turned uh, political, etc., and it was more driven uh, against uh, or directed against the, the FPM mainly. Yeah. And, and, bit. and could you add just a bit on that? In other words, when you saw that the focus shifted more, let's say at a certain time, towards whether it's an individual or the group itself, was there any reckoning within you that maybe there's a different way of approaching politics down the road that would serve us better? Yeah, I, yeah. you have to make a revision of all the mistakes uh, or why this anger built up happened. Could you perhaps, I and mean, just a quick sort of But you have example. also to understand that regardless of what you did, mm. the only fact that you are in the front lines, mm. president of the republic, the highest position you mm. can get in this country, having so much uh, this weight in the system, you have to expect that the anger will be driven against you naturally, mm. spontaneously mm. first. And then, of course, after it was also part of partly directed also, uh, targeted. So uh, uh, can we ha- could we have avoided avo- avoid that, I think? Uh, or is there one thing you could think of that's maybe a, a step that was done that put you more in the spotlight? Other than the symbolic post, which is a very important one, the highest post, but if whether or not the president was part of this party... Is there anything that you could think of that perhaps put more burden on this group than other groups at certain times? Could it be maybe certain positions in government that maybe the group did not want to be in, for example? Or is it uh, maybe a certain politics that did not resonate well? It's 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 a mix of that. Mm. Definitely we had something uh, something wrong happened, Yanni, and... uh, but but I still I still find a little bit uh, unfair uh, uh, that the FPM has the biggest part of uh, targeting. Let's say I could have explained it by the fact that he has the biggest weight in the system politically as okay. the president of the yeah. republic. But then it turned out with the political parties infiltrating in the revolution that it was more than that. I see. So you see, there's many things that, that yeah. contributed. I'll, I'll get to the elections, and I'll save, I'll save the best for last. Mm. Um, but there's another point that I wanted to ask you, and I would have asked you this had we not done this. This would have been a friendly exchange, and maybe, and I would ask you because it's a rare opportunity for somebody who fought for Lebanon's independence 17 years ago and earlier to be in Lebanon, to be in this country when the largest non-nuclear blast happens. The most devastating explosion anyone could ever dream of in Beirut. And maybe you'll disagree with this, but I think it's more or less taken for granted now that this ammonium nitrate was not here for domestic concerns. This is a regional war being fought in Lebanon. And I think it's safe to say at this point that the regional war that's being fought in Lebanon has less to do with our inefficiencies or sectarianism and has more to do with that neighbor to the east that this group fought against to get out of Lebanon. And there's an obvious indirect responsibility that is clear, and it tore Beirut apart. This group wanted the Syrian regime out, and 
an alliance done with a group that thinks of itself as defending the Syrian regime next door and then sends fighters to protect that regime. And Beirut blows up. How do you see that event in terms of where the FPM once stood against the Syrian regime? But why are you getting into conclusions uh, with regards to the ammonium before the the judge Bitar uh, issue his, uh, his decision? Because someone is inquiring what happened. Seven months ago, that investigation was forced to come to a breakdown paralysis. It will continue. But, I mean, why, why are you getting into conclusions as, we're, as for the ammonium... Uh, Context. I, I don't know. I, I personally, I'm an MP. Yeah. I I heard lots of scenarios. Yeah. Like you, but I'm not I'm not adopting anything before the judge Bitar issue his own uh, his own uh, investigation. Let's say uh, result or whatever. I can't say. think of any other group wanting Judge Bitar to prevent a full investigation. I don't think anyone can hide. Uh, what happened sooner or later is, is going to come out. And you cannot hide. There is two aspects. Aspect of the ammonium coming to Lebanon. Was it, does it, did it come accidentally, uh, like the way the, the course of events happened, or it was intended to be this way? Uh, then uh, the way it was stored, seven years, and, uh, the way it was stored, why there was no response to the warnings that were issued by some responsibles. And then, finally, uh, what happened really the day of the explosion? Was it an accidental fire or it wasn't in any... You know, there are lots of questions, and I'm, I, I, heard, you, I, I heard a lot. Yeah. I heard a lot. I agree I with really you. don't want to jump into conclusions because it's a very sensitive issue. You're right, but there's one group that has prevented full sovereignty in this country since Syria's withdrawal. And there's transit points, there's infrastructure, there's a port, there's an airport, there are borders. And there's one group that is capable of doing things no other group can do. Let's wait for Judge Bitar. I don't think he's, very, he's a big sympathizer of this group. Yeah. And therefore, uh, and vice versa. But And vice versa. So let's wait for his conclusions before uh, commenting. Uh, you want me to comment something? I'm not. And it's one of the scenarios that you have in mind. But no, it's how can I adopt it and just comment on it? I mean, let's wait for the conclusions and then we we talk about it. I think it's the tragedy that we all understand the situation, and we put the onus on investigations that never happen in Lebanon, and they don't happen because one group's capabilities prevent due justice from happening. I think I, I think that no one can hide what happened, honestly. No, no one. Mm. No one. Even if now there are some these uh, issues about uh, resuming the investigation with these technical appointees, mm. etc. But uh, no one. I think the, all the facts are known now, and no one can hide them. Now, the question is about... Oh, the, the judge Bitar has the, the whole information. And I think that the issue that is preventing him from continuing is more political than... Uh, it's more related to the question of the minister's responsibility rather than the real fact behind what happened with the ammonium. This is my opinion again, and I wait for his decision. That's, that's the correct answer from anyone, actually, who's in... I mean, I, I, I wouldn't... It would be shocking to hear a different answer, but knowing that you're not, perhaps... It's not your place and you're right. Uh, in a country that works, you would want the investigation to wrap up, and then you could look at the report and make conclusions. But there's only uh, there's already someone you can condemn 
is a state failure that led to leaving these, regardless who yeah. brought this ammonium and why it exploded. Yeah. How could this institutions fail to deal with such a storage, dangerous storage d- during, seven, uh, during seven years? This is something that you can already condemn, Yanni. But I uh, think... Then you have to go yeah. to micro and, and micro and go to the personal responsibilities. But the, the right. macro responsibility is there. But state failure has less to do with your group or any other group in this country. Uh, a, a, a proxy army capable of doing things without any pressure and once that pressure is applied, it's the pressure is eliminated. That, I think, contributes heavily to state paralysis and failure. And I don't think it's only allies of that group. It's the nominal opponents. It could be groups that even scream and shout against that situation all the time. And at the end of the day, they're part of that larger problem, too. But I think that's what best represents Hezbollah's disorder in Lebanon. And I wish I could hear more uh, individual voices clarifying why they think of Hezbollah's security and, and arms and its capabilities as a problem. I don't hear that enough, whether it's in October 17 or the regime, but I think that's a, that's an, that's a very uh, huge burden placed on politics in Lebanon. I won't go further on the port blast. I'll, I'll wrap it up with Baabda. I've been lucky. I've met so many candidates running in Baabda. From the opposition, uh, from, two from the opposition actually, Michelle Halu and Khalil Halu. Yeah. Uh, and I'm now meeting you, uh, running for your uh, candidacy. I'm curious when you, I've seen photos of you actually doing your campaigning, and I follow you on yeah. social media. And I think it's funny because I, I want to hear, but I can't. These are pictures. I, w- I want to know what voters are asking you about. And I'm wondering, is the average voter asking you for huge solution to regional problems when they talk to you? Mm. Today, the, the priority <laughs> of the people is yeah. mainly about the financial and economical situation. Mm. People are hit in their power purchase. People are hit in their savings in banks. And I think there is no priority uh, that goes mm. uh, over that. So what people need now, what people need now is to have a perspective and a vision of the way out and to see the um, the fate of, of their savings and to see also how things will improve in order for them to come back to a acceptable power purchase mm. uh, or with regards uh, to the situa- to actual situation today. So definitely these elections are mainly, uh, let's say, hijacked by this subject compared to all the other subjects that you can might think of, political or regional or whatever, because uh, there are priorities in people's life, and this is the first priority. So it's really the local component that still matters when it comes to campaigning, that you hear mostly... I mean, I hear it from the question of the people. This is where yeah. they are worried. They are mm-hmm. worried about their deposits. They are worried about uh, the lira, the devaluation. They are worried about... Uh, the future economical situation, right. uh, the, their, their work, their job, their uh, institution, whatever it is. Mm, uh, mm. So this is the concern of the people today. Do you think now people are really... Uh, and for them, the political issues are not really now the, the top priority. Their minds are, are somewhere else. But I like hearing this from multiple candidates. I actually spoke to Fouad Maksoumi a few days ago and another Beirut 2 uh, opponent, 
and they had a different outlook on Beirut too, where the there was an insertion of regional affairs into the voter uh, dialogue, which I thought was it struck it struck me as odd that this was happening. But it is it is nice to see how different districts are are expressing themselves, and I think it has to do with maybe communal anxiety. And you you mentioned this at the beginning, your journey into Lebanese politics. There was a community that was not fully invested in politics. I don't think it's the same story right now with the Sunni community, but I think there's a parallel or there's an echo of that, that there seems to be some anxiety that reminds me of the 90s more and more when it comes to voters and why they're not voting sometimes. I'll wrap it up, Alan. You've been very kind with your time, with a very bold question. And with your permission, later on, we'll do another round to talk about other things. What would it take for you in a group presently in politics is going to be with us for years to come? What would it take for you to think of Iran's security in Lebanon the way you thought of Syria and Lebanon? How would you be able to come to that conclusion? What would need to happen for you to actually speak the same language that was once spoken three decades ago? No, I mean, um, I still have the same goals and aims uh, in order to have a country that is completely independent. I I don't want the country being under any regional influence, whether it's Iran or others. So that it didn't change, actually. What would it take for you to make that your rallying cry the way it was it's the rallying cry? It's not a question cry. of being... Listen, the, 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 the difference between maybe me and... Uh, Others, they are just more vocal, let's say. They're just mm. selling people slogans. I think that... Uh, You're referring to the highway, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying that, I mean, uh, it, it's not by, uh, you know, just uh, slogans, etc., that you solve problems as complex as the ones we're facing. Mm. And we inherited what mm. were here before. So uh, it's, it's a mix of uh, trust building between communities it's a mist of trust building about your intentions towards this other partner in, in, in this country. It's a mix of solving the real security issues and threats against Lebanon and a mix of regional also problems uh, to be also uh, solved and fixed. So when you come to such a complex uh, issue as mm. the one you're raising and that is here, uh, it's, it's, it's very simplistic to say just only, uh, you know, uh, just take a throw uh, words just to, to solve it. No, it's mm. much more complex. It's something that was, it's, it's here. It's, uh, it's, uh, it has been here since a long time. It's uh, complicated. But at the same time, uh, you, you should ultimately find a solution for it. It's, it's, you cannot... It's an exception. It's not the rule. Is it, in your mind, more local than than no, regional? No. It's regional uh, more than local. If 1559 was part of the drive to, re- to recalibrate Syria's interests in Lebanon, is that a journey you could see happening where the FPM takes on the role of doing something that it used to do quite well, which is to address Lebanon's concerns? I solve problem in Lebanon by... Trust building with my partners first mm. so that they understand that I'm not here conspiring against them. Uh, and if I tell them about any solution, 
because there should be a solution ultimately. I'm saying it from a friend's position, mm. from someone well-intentioned position, from someone who's not against and not willing to get rid of them or you know or mm. uh, or conspire against them. So there is a minimum of local trust building that is completely, uh, let's say, lost these days. And secondly, uh, you have also to be objective and realistic that you have also the regional issues to be solved. Uh, you have to, to, to be solved. So uh, this is a process that should, uh, that should lead to that. And uh, I think that uh, we all agree that the ultimate goal is a country, is a state that's completely sovereign and that has the exclusivity of arms. And I don't think that there is no doubt about this ultimate goal that we should all have. The only thing that differs <clears throat> is uh, the way to reach it. Yeah. And uh, the way to reach it is has to deal with the causes and the reasons behind creating this exceptional situation so that this exceptional situation can end. I appreciate your measured diplomatic tone when it comes to local trust and, and building trust among differing sides. I hope, this is my wishful thinking, that a group like the FPM could one day serve the diplomatic goals that it once served on a regional and international level as well. Because sure. I think you did that effectively with Syria. I don't think the same happened with Iran. And I know we went into that. We explored it in depth. I'd like to do a follow-up episode with you later because I love this kind of uh, dialogue. I actually really, I really enjoy it. I learn a lot when I do this. I know there's a lot of opposing views in this story, but uh, this uh, mental exercise is healthy. And I really respect you for, for sitting down with me. And I hope we can do this again down the road. And all I'll say is good luck with the elections. It's a very hard season for anyone from the opposition or from the regime or from different parties and individuals. I think there's a lot of work and... Uh, I can only imagine the pressure of talking to me during this pressure cooker. Thank you. So thank you, Ulan. Thank you, Roni. Thank you. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>